started thinking about why I like it so much. And then I thought, you know, it's storytelling. I love stories, especially strange stories. And pro wrestling is just a series of strange stories that are acted out in the moment. And some things are improvised and there's this a little bit of chaos because someone broke their nose. Like, well, go, go with it. So it's just a very weird world. It's very easy to write about. That's Ryan Dilbert. As a creative writing teacher of fourth graders, he lovingly shapes young writers by utilizing all the other facets of his life. As a father of two young girls, husband to Julie, published author, pro wrestling journalist for Bleacher Report, stand-up comedian and performer, and tattoo artist and illustrator. In his summers off, he's hungry to do more. I'm Angelica Norton. Stay tuned for my monthly chat. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Angelica. Thanks for joining me on Chatty Crafties, a show where I celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art. We've been friends since Spanish class, sophomore year in high school. Does that sound right? I believe so. Um, We were also student directors of the performance poetry group in high school called Playwrights and Players, and we have lived under the same roof a couple of times. So we're Mm -hmm. old buddies. Um, And so I'm really excited that you're sitting down with me today. And you live in Houston, so it's not that easy. easy. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I start out the show with a weekly inspiration. Mine is, I got this sewing machine right here. It was my grandmother's. It's very old. My cousins were going to turn it into a cooler and then decided that was too much work. And then I don't even know how you do that. I think it's like you pop out the sewing machine and like insert a cooler. But I was so glad to get it because I tried it out and it totally works. It is this beautiful vintage machine. And so I'm very excited to start some projects on it and I haven't yet so it's just kind of this thing in the back of my mind that I'm just like ready to sew now that Christmassy activities are slowing Mm -hmm. down and there's this little window before going back to work so that's me what about you is there anything that's inspired um well during Thanksgiving break I spent a ton of time playing a Spider-Man video game and just being totally immersed in it because the kids were doing stuff Mm -hmm. Julie was doing stuff and you get to feel like you are spider-man i mean it captures the essence very well Mm -hmm. so i started thinking about superhero life and how some of the things are so unrealistic like spider-man has like all these gadgets i'm like where does he put the gadgets Mm -hmm. there's nowhere to fit them so i wanted to start thinking of a a story of a more realistic superhero was like how do i get to the villain i'm like i need to take the subway (laughs) and i'll slowly get there or I have a backpack with one gadget or I don't have enough money for a yeah. suit. <laughs> so that sort of got me started thinking a more like a sadder version of yeah. superhero life. So would this superhero have powers or is he just kind of crafty with gadgets? <laughs> um, well, I had these random characters in mind mm-hmm. that might go into this who have kind of lame powers like one of them is like they can get beat up and they they're fine afterwards uh-huh. 
Like it hurts them. They but hurts they won't them, but die. then they're fine. Yeah. Eventually. Mm-hmm. So it's like not very powerful. Right. But. They're like, I didn't even do something with this because I have this special power. Or um, someone who gets this really intense sugar rush when they eat like a donut or Twinkie, like they're magically super strong and super fast. So but that would be really silly if it was like, I gotta eat a Twinkie. Yeah. <laughs> then I can, then I can take on the, the powers world. of a six-year-old. <laughs> the immediate my daughters might uh-huh. have influenced that that's, yeah. a good, that's a good thought how do you catalog some of these characters that you write do you make notes in a notebook do you just kind of ruminate on them until you have a story where you can develop them more how do you keep track there of are them? definitely times where i put things in a notebook because that's the easy thing to write you're just writing down about a person it's not a novel it's not a screenplay it's a bite-sized thing. Just this person does this. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But a lot of time they are just in my head, floating around, and I don't know where to put them. I had this idea since high school because we had Dr. Natunowitz mm-hmm. as a teacher, and I was like, that's like the greatest For name. For world history. Dr. Natunowitz. It sounds like a character name. Yeah. So that was like just something in my head. Yeah. And then I thought of a, a woman who went back in time to prevent... The Holocaust, essentially. She was going to kill Hitler, prevent the Holocaust. Eventually, Dr. Nertunowitz came attached to that character, and I was just sitting in my head for like 10 years. And then I was writing a story about time travel, and all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, Dr. Nertunowitz is good at that. Yeah. (laughs) That's her thing. Let's slip her in there. Yeah. And there it is. We did performance poetry in high school. Were you also writing fiction at the same time? Because you had a zine back then, Scraping Hoof, mm-hmm. where you were exploring different methods of writing and styles. Were you also writing fiction back then? I was definitely writing fiction back then. Okay. Um, that's the first thing I started. I remember being maybe 10 or 11 and just like filling those like mead black and white notebooks. Mm-hmm. And calling it a novel, fill that. It would probably be like a 40-page thing typed. But I was like, this is a novel. Mm-hmm. So I'd write a lot of those. And at one point, I got kind of sad. I was like, these aren't any good. Why did I do all this? But all of those books built up to what I do now. Right. Like, those were like practice or warm-ups. Yeah, exercising that muscle. So... There's definitely a value there, even if no one will ever read those things, because I don't want them to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did your parents um, encourage you? My mom encouraged me to read. We took weekly library trip on Sundays, and it was like a... she. I don't know if I just loved it, or she made it a big deal, but it felt like a big deal. Yeah. We're going to the library, we're getting books. So awesome. And was this in Cayman, or when yes, you moved to Houston? in Cayman. So okay. the library there is a not much larger than the <laughs> studio. So there was one point where I finished all the children's books because there may be like 50 books. Yeah. And I was like, what do I do? My mom was like, well, now read the adult books. Hmm. And I then was like, oh, I haven't even noticed that there are all these books. So I was reading Stephen King very early and this guy named John Saul, which is very similar. And... That stuff really blew me away. I was like, this is so weird. 
and so dark. And those are the things I really clung to. There was a book about an encyclopedia of monsters. It was like movie monsters and mythology. I checked that book out like a lot. Like yeah. every a couple of weeks. Like, let me just read these monsters. But reading that stuff made me want to write. I was like, I have ideas that are similar. Or, I mean, sometimes I would, I realized I would basically copy a story. I rewrote a Vonnegut novel. Like fan fiction. I didn't realize it. I was just writing the story and I'm like, this sounds really familiar. Yeah. Oh, it's the Vonnegut novel I read. Okay. <laughs> it's a cover. Yeah. <laughs> now that I've done that, yeah, I can do my own. I don't remember them encouraging writing, but I think encouraging being creative. And there was just a lot of free time and we didn't have a bunch of electronics. So I filled that time with reading and writing. Did you write with anyone when you were younger? Because we wrote together in the drama room. That's true. Was this like a collaborative process then? Not when I was younger. I've tried to do that more recently to mix results. Mm -hmm. But that period in high school, I mean... That was just a lot of experimenting yeah, and throwing stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. So uh, that was just a really good time for developing creative skills. Yeah. I don't remember any of the writing. It's probably not that good. I still have some of but the it's, scripts. Oh, maybe I'll, I'll judge <laughs> where I was. I do remember one thing I wrote about a guy. It was sort of a waiting for Guffman scene where a guy's like, has a watch and the guy's like what's the time and the guy says time is not real it's a construct and he's like can you just tell me the time <laughs> i have a bus to catch <laughs> but it that otherwise is mostly a blur and we had such freedom yes i don't remember how much the teacher miss pettit did except to keep us safe yeah but like she was like a good parent. Was like, if you're gonna do anything, just, just do it at play. the house. Just be in here, yeah. write, perform, give each other feedback. I don't know. She kind of let us set the structure, which was really helpful because then we figured a lot of things out and just played around. Yeah. So, I haven't thought about that, but that period was really important. And then, does race come into your characters because you are mixed? Your dad is black. Your mom is white. Does that ever come up? Is that something you try to explore? Um, I have struggled to do that. Huh. I had a professor, once she like found out, because I'm so light that no one assumes that there's blackness. So it's like a, you reveal it at some point, like a trick. Aha. Mm -hmm. And the professor was black and she said, you have to write about this. This is unique and your perspective I've tried to, it's, it's never come out right because it's, it's me, it's real, like making up a monster. I remember I, I saw a comic book artist talk about, he likes to draw monsters because no one can tell him it's wrong because who knows what this monster looks like or this alien. So I definitely like wild fiction like that because I'm like, this is my world. I've made it more real things like race mm -hmm. race in america mm -hmm. it's like those are very real things tackling that is much harder i've had this idea of writing an essay of what it's like to be 
this particular kind of biracial where you can't tell. So if I never brought it up, I could just be white. But it hasn't gone anywhere. Hmm. It's been difficult to dive into. I've approached it in terms of just different stories, things I remember. But then I bring it up to my parents and they don't remember it. So I don't know if it's true. Oh. I was like, do you remember a time, Mom, when we went to a family reunion somewhere in deep country Texas and everybody kind of whispering about my dad and we're getting my mom getting mad and being like, I'm tired of this. Uh We're leaving. So I talked to her about it so I could like go back and get some more details. And she was like, that didn't happen. Oh, not. I don't remember. Yeah. She said it didn't happen. And I was like, did it not? Yeah. (laughs) Or do you not remember or what? I don't know. So that's a problem. Does your sister remember that? She was much younger. I don't, she does not. Yeah. There's also a scene that may or may not be real where we were road tripping, maybe in New Mexico, and a white guy was like, saw my dad and I together and said, you shouldn't have this child. Oh my gosh. I'm going to take him away from you. Oh my gosh. And tried to like kidnap me. So I brought it up to my parents, like, let me write about this. And they were like, I don't think that happened. <laughs> So, did I misinterpret something? Did I just imagine? Who knows? Or I don't know. But I did. I wrote a fictional version of that. Because mm-hmm. I was like, whatever happened or didn't happen, this is in my head. I'm going to write it down. So, I wrote that story did get published mm-hmm. at some point. So, maybe I should just roll with the things that I thought happened or imagined happened. I wonder if that kind of reinforces that lack of validation that your point of view (laughs) never happened yeah yeah we're like i can't even write about it because the only additional information i can get from the other people in the scene don't agree that it happened well that's true so it's all me and is this true and i have a fear of um i don't know if you remember when um the author james fry Mm -hmm. wrote this a million Little broken piece, million pieces or something, something about, about being pieces. a druggie mm-hmm. i never and, like, read none it. of it was true yeah or most of it was not true and he like if he had written as fiction he would have been like successful right because it was like popular right it was on oprah's but now, now right. he's a liar so i'm like maybe i should just do the fiction route huh and then put in things that are real wow i don't know but i'm i guess i'm afraid of that didn't happen yeah That's really interesting. There's so much to unpack there. You wrote a novel called Time Crumbling Like a Wet Cracker. Can you tell me about that process? Like, how did you go about getting a book published? Oh, the publishing part. And writing it. Oh, well, writing it, my wife and I were teaching in China. And we had a lot of free time. And we're in this really rural area with not much to do. So there would be hours and hours of like, what are we going to do? So that was awesome for me. Yeah. Just to lock myself in a room and just write this thing. But it had been a f- series of ideas floating around that eventually I was like, what if they all go together? Mm-hmm. Like I had this idea, this image, the scene of Benjamin Franklin walking into a Taco Bell in modern times and being like, what is all of this? So I was, you know, I had this little story of sketching it out. Then I told you I was I had Dr. Nertunowitz, time traveling 
Hitler hater. Yeah. And then some other ideas, and I was like, wait, those all go together. Let me just put it as a one thing. So once I had that revelation, and all that time, just sat in there for a year and wrote, <laughs> and, and wrote that. Uh huh. And then when we came back to the States, I just sent it to a bunch of publishers. Oh, okay. And a few were like mildly interested. No Record Press was like, yeah, this is good. Let's go with it. And then it was an eye-opening world of um, editing okay. and revising where I spent almost as much time revising and editing it with the editor than writing it. It took about a year. He would send something, some big ideas. I would add them or change them. He would send it back. And some of them he wanted to completely change things. Like He was like, how about just make this character gay? Uh, I was oh. like, well, it has nothing to do with anything. Uh-huh. I, I don't imagine this person being gay. And this person, is, that doesn't, it's not important to the story whether or not he's gay. Yeah, like the relationship. He's just the rich guy up. who funds the adventure. Uh-huh. I don't, we're not getting into his sexual life. Yeah. So what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work because you're like, I spent so many hours making this and revising and editing myself. I felt kind of done. Yes. And then when you went through two or three sessions, it was like, okay, I'm definitely done. <laughs> and he's like, well, no, there's more. Which I'm glad we did that because it got better and better and we refined some things. So, you know, now as a teacher and I have to tell the kids, like, you have to revise your work. That's very hard for them. Well, especially fourth grade. And they're like, it's done. I'm like, no, that's just... You've planted the seed and a little seedling grew. Yeah. we got a whole garden to do here. It's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. So with publishing, that company doesn't have a lot of money. So they published it and they're like, that's all we can do. Huh. So I did all the other things. Like I hired our friend Sean mm-hmm. Callahan, who's a visual artist. He helped us make t-shirts, t-shirts. Merch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was like, should I wear the shirt? Yeah, you should. This is perfect. It's good for photos. Um. Oh, it's also, yeah. Because I didn't pay him. Oh, interesting. Like, I gave him a free sweatshirt and, like, stuff. But he, like, did everything for free. And then it was one point I did some other project. I was like, Sean, do you want to do this thing? And he was like, no. <laughs> I'm done. Like, he was basically, I'm, I've moved past working for free. free. stuff, yeah. I'm like, I feel you. Yeah. So... And the cover and like some visuals. So then I would make little postcards and and have things like just to show people. They need a picture. Yeah. Like this is Cabeza de Vaca who's going to be wandering around the 2010s. Yeah, it's a painful process of a lot of rejection because 95% of the people you're going to send something to. Same with short stories or any kind of poems or anything. You just have to get used to people saying no in various forms of politeness. Because you have gotten several stories published in, what, like, online or, or print? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's just, you know, literary journals. Yeah. Okay. So I remember in grad school, I was like, how many times should you send something out? Mm-hmm. And a professor said, I would say every story I published got rejected nine or ten times before mm-hmm. it got published. So I said, I'll send it out 11 times because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just the math. That's harder to do because they have each their own aesthetic and some are very specific. Some are like, we want 
Canadian um, queer vampire writing. And uh-huh. you're like, well, none of my work qualifies. Right. Cross that off. Who qualifies? Who have I not asked like 10 times to? Because maybe it's an editor 10 times says no to 10 different stories. Maybe they just don't like your stuff. I don't have to find someone else. Right. So it's a little like dating, yeah. finding the right match, and getting said no to a lot. So have you gotten published in the same literary journal for different stories? Like, do you feel like a journal is a good fit for when you have... Oh, a few times. Them? But I think you're trying to also build a resume and say, right. I got published here, 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 and here. Not all of my stories went to one place. Right. That doesn't look as good. And then it's different audiences and mm-hmm. different reaches. So I want to spread it out as much as possible. But there are some definitely some ones I really like. There's one called Smoke Long Quarterly. Which is the idea is the story is as long as it takes to smoke a cigarette. Oh. And they also do interviews with the writer about the story. Uh-huh. So you see the story, then you hear how it came to be. And they're well shaped. So that's a nice length. So is that flash fiction, that length? Flash fiction technically is thousand words or less. Okay. I have gotten into the shorter version, which is 500 or less or 300 or less words. So is that like a page and a half? Or less. Okay. Yeah. So like a There's a place called Nanofiction, which I knew some editors there. I had some stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's like a page, like a poetry page, mm-hmm. usually. Getting your all, Getting a story in that little small space is really challenging and invigorating in a way. Like you only have this much room. Every word needs to count. Mm-hmm. I need to, where do I need to just jump in? I think the problem with a lot of short stories, which are like 15, 20 pages maybe, a lot of it is just you warming up right in front of everybody. It's like you're tuning guitar and thinking. Yeah. Like cut all that out. Like what do I need? And that's a nice form of experimentation. Do I even need to put a name for this person? Do I need any backstory? I need just this moment. It's a nice um, limitation to put on yourself to force yourself to just get at the heart of something. Also, as a teacher and a parent, time time is precious. <laughs> Mental energy is precious. Yep. It's nine o'clock. I've done my lesson plans. The kids are in bed. I have like thirty minutes before I like drift off, probably starting the novel process it's hard to do yeah i want to write for three hours to explore these things but doing a piece of little flash fiction i can i can work on that yeah that's so interesting so it's like a little um grab it pop pop in your mouth how's that taste yeah instead of a big 10 course meal man i've i have not thought of these so flash fiction i'm sure is very popular but until you wrote the email describing the kind of work oh. that you do, I, I had to look it up. Well, you would think it'd be more popular. I'm surprised it's not because people are busy. Mm-hmm. People don't like, I hear people say that book is too long. Right. <laughs> I want to read all that. <laughs> but people read books instead yeah. of you could read in one minute a story or read a book of 45 stories. Right. We're a streaming culture. We're like a... yeah meme culture now and a bite-sized thing like i'm surprised that 
little pieces of fiction haven't caught on. Yeah. I think sometimes it's too artsy for some people or too heady and literary and almost prose poem where it's not clear what exactly what's happening unless you really think about it. Mm-hmm. That may be challenging for people, but... Because, like, on Facebook or whatever, there are these articles, and they'll say on top a two-minute read, BuzzFeed about whatever, <laughs> take this quiz. Um, I don't want to read more than three minutes. So. Yeah, like, Good, that is perfect. your limit. Yeah, yeah, I can do this and then get back to scrolling to endlessly. Life. I moved into fiction, which, you know, is about 100,000 words. When I was pregnant with Ansley, I had a really hard time with poetry because it was too condensed too distilled where uh-huh. I felt like I needed to elaborate and so I had the opposite atrophied muscle where I, I needed to work on clarifying and developing details and expanding a story sure. and so I, I find it really interesting that there is another version of this the other side of the pendulum where it's like yes it's still a story it's not a poem it's still fiction um, but you're getting it in one page so this is very inspiring. To try? Yeah. I think it's just a good exercise. Yeah. And especially because some of them are like, some of the journals have a very specific, we want 50 word stories. No less, no more. Yeah. So that's a challenge. Like, what do I add? What do I cut? So I like to put those limitations on myself sometimes yeah. just for fun and see what I can come up with. You also interviewed wrestlers and wrote wrestling articles for Bleacher Report for the last seven years. How did you get into that? I had like several part-time jobs. And I saw Bleacher Report was like, we want more writers. And there was like a wrestling section that I read. And I was like, oh, I have always loved wrestling. I need some place to put my writing. This might be perfect. And it just blossomed. Like, I started unpaid, irregular contributor, then I featured, and then part-time, then full-time, and then just got deeper into that world. Um, And I started thinking about why I like it so much. And then I thought, you know, it's storytelling. I love stories, especially strange stories. Pro wrestling is just a series of strange stories <laughs> that are acted out in the moment and some things are improvised and there's this a little bit of chaos because someone broke their nose. Like, well, go, go with it. So it's just a very weird world. It's very easy to write about because there's so many angles and you can take angles of like someone's biography. How did someone come to be, come to this place? Or analyze the the story that's on the screen in, in in a literary way. Like, I did one thing where I compared wrestling stories to famous things like Moby Dick. Like this this wrestler Shawn Michaels was obsessed with getting revenge on this guy, the Undertaker, and he would like cost himself a championship. He cost himself a match because he was so focused on this thing. And I was like. That's Moby Dick. Huh. So I wrote, let me let me put these two together. Yeah. Uh, there was a wrestler who kept almost succeeding in like stealing the championship and then failing. And I was like, this sounds like Sisyphus. Like, 
going, pushing the boulder up, almost there, almost there. Oh, f failure. So kind of comparing those two worlds and merging them was very interesting. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, and then meeting and he interviewing people that I grew up watching was really surreal. I saw that you had interviewed 10 Hall of Famers or something, 10 plus. So it's their story. Mm -hmm. And you're pulling things out and working with their history and interpreting their story or taking as like a biography, mm -hmm. but I don't have time to, to write the whole book for this article. So what juicy tidbit mm -hmm. there's an, a wrestler named Shinsuke Nakamura because he's very flamboyant and uh, sh he's a very good showman. He looks like if Michael Jackson was a Kung Fu master or mm -hmm. something. So I expected a lot. Michael Jackson, Freddie Mercury as influences and he said that um, a Mahjong player influenced him. And I was like, huh. okay, stop, stop, stop. Wait. <laughs> Tell me about that. And he said this guy was telling him to be himself and not be so nervous. And that helped him blossom to this like, character he is. So it's like, I got, I mean, let's write about that. That's amazing. Yeah. What a strange transformation. And there's a ton of those things out there. So I did a lot of that. Like finding those little pieces and exploring them. Yeah. Um, while being super nervous. <laughs> Especially the people like Hulk Hogan. Did you interview him? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This was right before the racist tirade came out. Oh. So I was <laughs> had a very much more positive view of him at that yeah. moment. But I was like, this is so weird. A super larger than life person. And I'm talking to him. Is he in character when you interview him? Some of them are more character than others. Hulk Hogan, for example, I don't think there's a separation anymore. Sure. His real name is Terry. I don't think Terry exists. Right. I think it's just Hulk Hogan. It's been so long, it's, it's, it's overlapped. That mask is like melted on his face. Yeah. <laughs> there's no Terry. There's some guys that were like, this is just me. And they were kind of more interesting sometimes. Yeah. Without the character and i was like oh why don't you just do that um and then one time it was very embarrassing um there's a guy named cody rhodes who his father was a famous wrestler his brother was famous so i had this preparation of like we're gonna write about family lineage mm -hmm. pressure wrestling in someone's shadow performing this thing that you're expected to do really well at but he is his character at the time was called stardust which was this really weird guy with you've seen this i'm it surprised sounds familiar i probably told you when i was mortified oh 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 yeah yeah <laughs> he's got face paint he's like from the cosmos uh-huh so they called me and like uh cody rhodes is gonna do an interview with you okay great okay i'm looking him up i'm preparing i'm preparing for cody rhodes yeah the pr guy 30 seconds before he comes on says just so you know he's gonna be stardust Oh, shit. Like, he's not going to break character for you. Like, this interview. I was like, oh. Why do I know this guy? <laughs> I don't know. He's not super popular. Did I mean, Cody wrestle, is. Um, Stephen Amell? Yes. Oh, that's why you know. Arrow. There was a big thing for SummerSlam. Yes. Okay, go on. Yeah. That's famous. That's why they bring those famous people in. Because people who don't watch wrestling yeah. are like, oh, why Stephen Amell? On... Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have this whole interview prepped yeah 30 of the questions 
have to be X'd out. So I'm trying to ask him things, and it's really awkward. And he's he's not helping because he's like totally in character. Because he's a villain, right? And very strange. And like from another planet, oh. maybe. Who knows? It's implied. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I asked him something like, because I wanted to talk about the change from his Cody Rhodes persona yeah. to the Stardust persona. And I was like, I kind of asked him want. about that, yeah. and he was like, "What change? I was born, I was born yesterday from the <laughs> the depths of the sun." And I'm like, "Damn it! I wish I'd. I'd be, that'd be a great interview if I'd interview him as yeah. this weird guy, but I wasn't ready for that. So I often think about that. Like he and some other people started a new wrestling company. that's like this upstart, and I'm like, oh." There he is again. Yeah, yeah, this guy. And there's that feeling in my stomach where I was totally embarrassed. What happens with those interviews? Do you record it or do you write an article from notes that you Oh, take? I record them, transcribe them, and then pull the best stuff. Okay. There's a lot of people who just have the interview. Yeah. That's a different art. Um, I like to have a narrative and have a, a feature and then pull different interviews to supplement uh-huh. you know sort of like you're watching a sports documentary and then it cuts to like his coach and his, he's like he was great that's what i want to do and tell stories i did one about the undertaker played basketball in high school and college i just asked his former players and coaches like what was he like as a as a basketball player putting those interviews as total wouldn't be that interesting but pulling the little nuggets right um, I, I struggled to come with the term of that beautiful like line. I called it the money line, but that sounds too much like money shot. Right. That's the whole different thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I, as I was interviewing, it'd be a lot of stuff. It was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they would say something. Yeah. Like the Mahjong player inspired me to be this character. Like, woo, wow. Awesome. I'm definitely going to pull that out and uh-huh. talk about that. So I got that a second ago when you were talking. I can't even remember what you said, but in my mind, I dropped a little anchor that that's what I'm going to use as the intro. So you've already said it. It's already taken care of. So the money I, shot has yeah, it's happened. A, yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. But it is an awareness of when it's happening. You're like, this is it. This is like the condensed. Because there's normal stuff. There's good yeah, stuff. right. And then there's like, oh, nobody knows about that or hasn't heard you say that. So that was definitely a great multi-layered art. You come up with an angle, a story. You find the questions to ask this person. You pull out the what's the juiciest stuff. And then you weave it into what you're writing. That's like four different creative processes. So that was the most fulfilling part of that. I had to do like recaps of a show. Right. You it took like, Lucy to one, right? I did. That was one of my favorites. Because you wove her into the recap, right? Yeah. I um, I was tweeting. I took... She, Lucy was like three. And I took her to Monday Night Raw. And I started tweeting her thoughts. Because it's so interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to see a non-wrestling fan look at that world. Super interesting to see a child be like, what is... That guy's huge. What is he doing? I started tweeting about that, and then my editor the next day was like, there wasn't that big of a story to write about from that show. Yeah. What if you just read about your daughter? And I was like, 
I can do that? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to pay me to write about taking my daughter to Ra. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. That was really interesting because as fans, you like overanalyze. It's like the Star Wars fan base or the Marvel fan base. They get so trapped in that bubble. And they're arguing about who should play this or whatever. To see someone just be like, this guy is huge and scary. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's him. That's what he's doing. Yeah. was pretty awesome. And then it showed me how long the show is. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the main problems is that Running Night Raw was an hour early on in the 90s. And then they're like, let's make it two hours. And then uh, several years ago, USA Network was like, this is do, does well for us. Can you do three hours? Uh-huh. And you're like, yeah, we can do that, but not well. <laughs> every week oh it's a weekly thing it's I'm every under, week oh, yeah for like 20 plus years Man. so sometimes it gets really bad and seeing the kid like bored and me being tired and her bored you're like this is this is one of the problems it's you talked about we talked about flash fiction the novel they're trying to write a novel every week and you can't do that yeah so condensing it would be better from a writer's point of view and a creative point of view, but not from a ad sure. point of view and a money point of view, which is why they're not going to change. But if you just took out all the stuff you don't need and just got to the best stuff, it'd be a whole different thing. If you're listening, Vince, <laughs> not that they haven't heard that before. Really? No, a lot of fans are like, just cut it down. It's too much. What made you move into teaching from writing wrestling stories, interviews? Well, I was partly moving away from media and partly moving into teaching. Okay. So the moving away part is I saw the media world shrinking. Very talented writers that I know were like asking for a job on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why doesn't this person have a job? That's crazy. And then... ESPN would be like, we cut a hundred writers. Mm-hmm. And ESPN is like one of the top, I mean, places to go. So what if I got that job and they're like, oh, we're just going to cut you right. because we're just cutting. And Bleacher Report was swimming down too. They were like, we want less, we want fewer writers. We want less content. I was like, this doesn't seem to be the place to stay. Like you're standing on an island and it's like shrinking and you're mm-hmm. like, not a comfortable feeling mm-hmm. especially with two kids and like i don't want to be 48 and someone's like okay now you have no job and not many prospects right so that scared me especially because when i was thinking about leaving bleacher report i asked around different editors and they were like well we don't pay mm. or we pay pennies on the view or we pay 20 bucks and you're like "Ooh, mm-hmm. i can't do that so then I was like, well, what else do I want to do? I had taught before. I taught for some group called Writers in the Schools in Houston, mm-hmm. where you're just like dropped into a school and like you're the fun rock star. Hey, here's a cool poem. Let's do this thing. So I like that. I like working with kids. I've worked with kids in daycares and stuff. And one of the parts about writing all day professionally I didn't like was it's lonely and then I was like, what have I really done today? I recapped a show. Mm-hmm. I previewed another show. 
I'm like, okay, that's entertainment for someone. But teaching is the complete opposite, where every day you know you've done something awesome. Yeah. Even if you told a kid, hey, you can do it. That is powerful. And I've done something awesome. So, and it's not lonely. <laughs> it's people, it's like the opposite. You're like, please be quiet. Yeah. There's too many of you. So I guess thinking something more stable, mm-hmm. something I can fulfill that need of like helping people. And then the fact I teach writing. So it's perfect in the sense I can write, talk about writing all day. And I have all these quotes and tips and like ideas and I care about it. And then also, you know, I was like, maybe I can be both because mm-hmm. mo- most writers don't have the luxury of being just a writer. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how much of my, the writer part do I have to kill or like muffle in order to do this other job? It's surprisingly been not as much. Like I don't have as much time or energy. But this summer I got a call from a PR person for New Japan. And they were like, we're bringing our Japanese company to Dallas to do this show. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I'm not a writer anymore. I'm a t- Wait, <laughs> I am a writer. It's the summer. It's the summer. <laughs> I can do that. So I had having that press pass on. Oh, man. And like having my notebook and stuff. I was like, I'm a writer. Yeah. I don't have to let that go. And then, you know, the the students like, think they're being sneaky like i looked you up on the internet and i was like okay (laughs) you are a writer you told us that i'm like yes i told you and then they bring up things that i wrote and i'm like yeah i am a writer yeah so it's been a weird thing where this dual identity and like embracing that you can be multiple things do you still draw you have a lot of cool illustrations tattooed on your body (laughs) that you did um surprisingly i draw a lot for work because you do anchor charts which Uh are like we're learning this thing we're going to put a poster on the wall to remember help you remember the steps and one of the things they always tell you in teaching is to put a visual so i want you to put your books away this way here's how to do it or if you're stuck with writing here's things you can do so i drew like winnie the pooh like stuck in a cave for when you're stuck uh-huh. Or here's somebody putting their books away. The kids are always blown away. <laughs> yeah. They're like, that is awesome. How do you do it? And I I go, hard work. <laughs> Practice. There's a, a little lesson on the side. Yeah. I mess around with drawing. Drawing is more frustrating for me than writing. Because when I have an idea in my head, just swirling around, I have this thing. I write it and it's like sometimes better than what I first envisioned. Mm-hmm. Drawing, it's always worse than I envisioned. <laughs> it's like that's not what I wanted to do. It's not as good. I haven't done as much of it as the part of it. Right. I write all the time. But you have a very specific style that is inherently you. Like so, I'd like to d- use that and maybe yeah. do graphic novel or or something. Mm-hmm. But I'm more critical of the drawing than the writing. I know what's wrong with the writing, and then you just Revise it and change it. Mm-hmm. So I, I did tattoos for a while. Yeah, I was going to ask. One of the frustrating parts about it was it was really hard. The art was not what I wanted. Plus, there is no revision. 
That would make me very nervous. You have it on someone's body, and then you're like, I, I don't like that part. No, I just have to sit with this, and you have to live with it. Yeah. Especially in the beginning. The tattoo school I did was in Shreveport, Louisiana, and he was like, you're going to put needles to the flesh on day three. And everybody's like, what? What? <laughs> It's like, you just got to do it. There's no other way. If you want to play the piano, play the piano. You can't do something else. If you want to play basketball, you have to hold a basketball. So you're going to put tattoos on people. Wow. And the day we opened, we did some prep, some practice, some whatnot. The day we opened day three, people walked in. And I was like, what, are, you, are you crazy? Because they wanted a tattoo. They, they, get a, they get a free tattoo. Oh. But you know that it's someone who hasn't done it ever that day one okay day 30 hey they've been doing it it's like going i don't want to get a haircut from the the barber school it's probably going to be bad yeah but a haircut you just you can fix or grow it out yeah but i tattooed this large lettering on this woman's chest whoa and it's not good oh no and the teacher was like here's how to do it better next time Uh here's what you do i was like great but my anxiety is killing me to the fact that this lady, everywhere she goes and shows her cleavage, yeah, a really bad thing is <laughs> showing, and people are like, "Where'd you get that?" Yeah, and then she will say, she will like curse my name, or maybe not. Maybe she's like, "That's great." I don't know. I don't know what her expectation was. Y- you didn't get a reaction from her. Um, she was so much in pain that I think. <laughs> She couldn't process it. She was like, is it going to hurt? I'm like, yes, absolutely. So she was she was distracted. Oh, my gosh. But I was very hard on myself, and it, I just felt so stressed every time. Huh. I thought it would be more a creative outlet. And it is for some people, I'm sure. But I just, like, I'm just sweating and, like, feeling sick to my stomach before, after. Yeah. I'm like, this is not good. I so did you make it through tattoo school? Yes. And then what? And then for about a year and a half, I just tattooed all the friends who were willing to get tattoos, which is not a long list. Yeah. How many? It's like maybe 12. Okay. A tattoo from someone who's not good at it and is saying that to you. So after that, I was like, well, I need to do like a hundred more. Right. You know, the Malcolm Gladwell thing is like 10,000 hours. Yeah. I've had like 18 hours here, so I'm I'm in need of more. So I basically tattooed all of my legs myself. Oh, my gosh. I I, I don't know if you've seen that, but... Because someone's like, oh, you have a tattoo. I'm like, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of them on my legs. I mean, I've seen... It's reachable. Swimsuit photos of you. I don't know if... Those are all me. I then I tattooed on my arm, which was not a great idea because you're supposed to use two hands, one hand to stretch the skin out. Oh. So I didn't do that. And then I tattooed my collarbone. In the mirror? No, I just looked down. Okay. It's kind of low. Okay. But I got a little dizzy. Oh my gosh. Because I was staring <laughs> at my chest for so long. <laughs> but I was had this moment where I'm home alone, put the drawing on my chest, and I was like, is this insane what about to do you're mementoing am I, am I own? <laughs> yeah i really connect with that movie i'm like yes but not not information about myself my life but that act of putting it on yourself yeah i got very used to that people were like how did you do that? I'm like, it's fine it's easier to control i can stop it oh it mm-hmm. hurts i'll stop mm-hmm. take a pause 
But after doing all that, I was like, I'm not ready. And I don't like it. Hmm. You know, when you're a kid, they say, don't give up, don't give up. I think the lesson is know when to give up. Yeah. <laughs> when is it appropriate to give up? When it's run its course. When you're like, I don't like it and I'm not that good at it. Will I ever be good at it? I don't know. I don't like the process right now of getting good at it. And like, what do you want to get out of it? I think that that is a lesson for any kind of creative experience. Like if it is turning into I'm writing because I'm getting paid for clicks. I am developing this story, this wrestling, you know, three hour extravaganza because of ads. Like you lose the soul of it. Yeah. But if you are doing something because you get some sort of enjoyment out of it, because it grows you in some way, I think that that encourages you. If you have taken Definitely. that out, it is discouraging you for a reason. And that's freed me up now that I don't have to write every day this wrestling stuff and I don't have to write what they tell me. I go to different websites and I have this idea, can I write this? And they're like, great, go for it. It's my, something I love, something I'm interested in. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Yeah, the pressure isn't there. It was a very loud plane. They just <laughs> go right on over this recording studio. How does music contribute to your creative process? I use music to set a tone when I'm writing. Especially last few years, I've been doing a lot of screenplays. Horror movie screenplays, specifically. Just exploring that genre. And there's definitely a mood you want to set. So I'm putting on creepy music in my headphones to like help me. Uh-huh. I recently wrote one that's like set in the Western, but it's a horror movie. So I was like found this very good dark Western soundtrack thing, like creepy cowboy music. That's putting me in the mood and, and music conjures up images in my head and I can use those images that's something I've done with as a teacher. I'm like, here's this music. What do you see in your head? Write it down. So I definitely do that at home. I used to write music, as you know. Yes. I have not done that in a while. It's going to be my follow-up question. Um, just not inspired mm -hmm. to do so. I think that was also a collaborative thing. This friend's doing this. This friend's doing this. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah. I don't have that, so I strayed from that, but... What I remember from when you wrote music is to remember the notes you would use words. And it wasn't necessarily the lyrics that you would use in the song, but it's how you would remember the song. Oh, I don't remember doing that, but it's po very possible. <laughs> I, I remember asking you, I was like, oh, you wrote the lyrics. And you're like, no, no, no. This is just so I remember the notes. Oh, one type of writing helps other type of writing. Oh, yeah. I read and wrote a lot of poetry at some point. I didn't know why I was doing it or had an end goal. Yeah. But that has helped all my writing. Because you are condensing your ideas. You're finding the perfect word. There's a lyrical element. You're developing all these skills that you use for all writing. So that songwriting, I'm sure, has helped all the other writing it's all the same really you know you're like what i do songwriting screenplay poetry writing columns 
it's taking words and like trying to evoke a feeling or trying to capture an image. That's all the all of it's the same in that way. Finding the exact words and the exact word combination to create this magic. So it's the same skills, just different forms and styles. That reminds me of something I heard on comedians and cars getting coffee. Jerry Seinfeld said that jokes are the right words in the exact right order. To get. Yeah, that's a poem. Yeah. Too. Yeah. You did stand up for a little bit, yeah? I have. I did. I So I don't crave songwriting. Mm-hmm. I don't take tattoos. Mm-hmm. I do crave going back into stand-up comedy. When I hear someone do something good, I'm like, that's so perfect. Yeah. It's the same thing. You're finding these exact words to capture, especially... Not that I love Seinfeld, but his thing was like, you all had this feeling, mm-hmm. you know, you had this feeling before. I have captured it perfectly and and like voiced it for you. And you're like, yeah, I do hate airplane food. <laughs> that's right. I haven't thought of that. So that's a, I mean, that's a really interesting art. I mean, there's certainly a craft to it, a craft yeah. to a joke. And the end result is evoking a feeling. That's a very specific feeling. Like yeah. you you need people to laugh or otherwise it's failing. Yeah. Just like horror movies, I like, it has a very specific purpose. We are trying to scare you. Yeah. So how do you do that? Um, I remember I did Austin's Funniest Person Contest. Did you? Which, well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Ralphie May was like the host. And I remember going, oh, I have a long ways to go if I want to do this. Uh-huh. Just seeing other people like, oh, this person has really worked on this so long. Because I did well on the open mics and I was like, oh, I'm so good at this. So, so confident. And then I kind of saw, oh, how far the art can go. It's the same with reading and writing where I'm like, oh, I have this stretch. Where I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I can mm-hmm. write. Mm-hmm. And then I read something someone wrote and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can write a lot better because this person is doing this magical thing. And that's one of the most appealing things. But you can never perfect it. You're never done getting better. Matt shared something on Facebook that I then shared on the Chatty Crafties Facebook page. That's the gap. So there is one aspect. You're working on your craft. You're working on your craft. And then you're also looking at experts. And um, you're developing taste. And your taste develops more quickly than your craft. And mm. so that should the gap shouldn't discourage you from exploring and working this muscle, but it is a very um, tangible thing that you're in that gap for something you're working on. But it's not a bad it's a way thing. to drive you. Yeah, and that's one of I mean one of the best things about teaching I'm finding is that you will never stop growing. Yeah, and you're never just good at perfect at it. We have some very young first year teachers who are like hard on themselves and I'm like they're like how come I can't do it as well as her and she's been doing it for 20 years so there's you shouldn't be able to do it as good as her that means that she's not doing a good job and there's so many skills you can just continue to work on the summer hits and you're like what am I going to work on this year there's a performance aspect to teaching you have an audience you're trying to engage them you're trying to get them to remember what you are teaching or talking mm-hmm. about do you feel like there is something that you get out of performance? Yeah, it's 
it's kind of fun. Like you're a stand-up comedian and you're an mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. And I realized early on, when the kids weren't paying attention, I was trying to be meaner. Mm-hmm. I was like, drill sergeant is not me. Right. So I think they knew that. So I decided to just be goofier. And the goofier I got, they were like, oh, what is that? So that's fun. Like, how can I get their attention? And just, I get to do weird stuff. The weirder, the better. You know, and I had this revelation where I was like, I spent a lot of time doing all these other jobs. For what? Now I'm doing this other job. But all of them have contributed. Mm Mm-hmm. So I used to work crowd control at museums. I definitely do crowd control now. <laughs> yeah. When I made smoothies at Jamba Juice, mm-hmm. dealing with angry customers, uh-huh. I have parents that I had to deal with the same thing, like how to calm them down. Yes, ma'am. I know there's a problem. Yeah. It's the same skill. And it's really weird. Like it all has added up. Yeah. I think in part because teaching is 50 jobs at once. Yeah. So... You need all the experience you can get. And all my creative venues have helped. I draw for them. I write examples for them for what I want them to write. I write the lesson plan. Mm -hmm. I perform. I make jokes. People kind of are judgy about their breaks. Like, oh, you get three months off for summer. You're like, I work so hard. (laughs) If I didn't have the summer, we'd all be ground into dust yeah i think people who say that don't, haven't taught anything. haven't taught or weren't like my mom is an art teacher uh-huh. and like i know i have a lot of friends that have either taught for a little bit and were like Whoop, that's enough or have now become teachers and so i value it and so anyone that's judging can just get right out of here <laughs> i have no time for that um are there any other creative endeavors that you're into that we haven't talked about yet i don't think so okay. that's enough that's my one of my problems uh-huh I have a, like a hundred thousand ideas, and I want to do them all. I want to write another novel, mm-hmm. this screenplay, this graphic thing. This, I'm like, which one do I do? I don't. I can't do them all right now, especially with limited time. So I just go with the thing that's burning the hole in my heart, which changes a lot. So then I don't finish things. <laughs> but I don't know. Eventually, something will get done. I would argue that you've gotten a lot done. You've, you've I'm hard on myself with that. Yeah, you've gotten more work published than a lot of people I know who are like, you know, hobbyist writer. Mm-hmm. Myself, for example. I have not tried to publish anything, but when I write something, it's the audience is me. And you're yeah. thinking about I've got to get this out into the world. I just want to share it. I'm, just, you know, telling stories and that's what it comes from. You sit around a fire, tell this story, and then see people's reaction. So I was working on the horror western, and I was kind of stuck. So I just read and acted out, essentially, the screenplay for my sister Sarah and my wife Julie. And that was like an invigorating experience. They were like, what happens to this guy? I'm like, it'll come. It's coming. (laughs) So I was like, I want want. want that on a screen. And have people have those reactions. So screenplay more so than directing? Do you ever think about directing? Um, more screenplay. Yeah. I want, I think of the characters and the lines and the things that happen. 
directing is like you're working with someone else's story, uh-huh. which is less appealing. Yeah. Because I thought I wanted to do that at one point. When I went started college, I thought that. But I realized the writing part is most interesting. Mm-hmm. And then to see someone take it and interpret it and, and hopefully improve it. That the cinematographer is going to interpret it. The fashion person is going to interpret it. When I write fiction, I write it. I'm done. I send it out. I don't need anybody else other than the editor and the publisher. But the movie, it's like, okay, I've written the story. Now I need like 300 people and several hundred thousand dollars right. to turn this into something. So that's much harder yeah. for me too. How does having your daughters contribute to your creative identity? I want to make stuff that they can read and experience, which so much of what I do is so dark <laughs> yeah, and inappropriate. I'm like, no, I cannot read this to you. So I have been thinking more of like, can I do something young adult? So that is definitely a big part of it. But it stoked my imagination, seeing the world again. Mm-hmm. Like especially, you know, when they're they're excited about something, they're asking questions. What is this? Why is this this way? I'm like, I don't know. We just accept it. I haven't thought of that. Yeah. So it, it forces me into weird head spaces. Yeah. And then I also see what Lucy's reading. And I'm like, why is this so appealing to you? I think a good genre for you is like kids graphic novels. There is like a rebirth where it's Absolutely. it's been distilled to just talk bubbles. And they're silly. I feel like um, you could write a really good kids graphic novel. And I would have novel. something that the kids could read. Because they're like, can we yeah. read your novel? And I'm like, first of all, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of murders. Yeah. <laughs> I want to put that on you. Yeah. So I want to have something for them to share. So I have some things to work on. Yeah, just add it to your list. Graphic novel for <laughs> kids. Um, would you like to take a break and then we'll get Lucy in here? And then, oh, that's a good idea. And then I'll we'll finish it up with the last question for you, which is your creative identity title. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions about art and being creative. Do you think all kids are creative? No. <laughs> Lucy, Lucy, you don't have to say it. So you can say from where you are, you can say it. Do you think you are creative? Yes. I think you're creative. You have two creative parents. Do you think that helps you in things like drawing and acting? Yes. How? Because one of them is a writer and one of them is an art teacher, so it's going to be easy for me because they can just teach me how to do it. So they encourage you? Mm-hmm. Does that make you feel really good? Uh-huh. And what is your favorite kind of art or creative thing to do right now? It could be drawing. It could be acting. Mm-hmm. It could be... Painting. What could do you be... like to do? To make something because, like, because I can make whatever I want to make. And what do you like making? I like making things that aren't really made, but I also like thing making things that are already made. Do you mean like when you're trying to build that house out of um, pipe cleaners? Uh huh. Hmm. It's kind of like a collage, a sculptural collage when you use materials like that. Do you like to collage? Do you know what a collage is? 
Yeah, I did that once in art class. You did. Mm-hmm. Did you like doing it? Uh-huh. What is your favorite thing you've ever made? My convention convention hat. My convention oh. convention hat. When I went to the field trip, it was like a hat, a witch hat, and a thing that can trap things. Oh. What do you tend to draw or make? What, what, what kind of ice cream people do you make? I make like just ice creams with, that have cute little faces. Oh, do you like drawing cute things? Uh-huh. Um, you were just in a play, right? Yes. What was the play called? Well, it was like different performances of poems. Oh. So what was one of the poems you did? Jimmy got in his TV set. What is that about? Yeah, tell me about it. It's about someone named Jimmy Jet who watches his TV a lot that he turns into one. How's it go? The last line? The last line says, instead of him watching TV, we all sit around and watch him. Oh, good. pretty surreal. Yeah. Do you have a good memory for stuff like that? Uh Uh-huh. You like to read? A little bit yes and a little bit no. Really? <laughs> oh, interesting. Does it feel like work? Yeah, because some words are really hard, mm-hmm. hard to read and some words are really easy to read. Yeah. What is your favorite word right now? Do you have one? Yes, I. It's so easy to spell. <laughs> okay. I love that. Um, is there anything that... Ryan, that she does creatively that you can think of that we haven't talked about? She started learning the guitar. Oh. Her school is a music magnet. So this year that she had to pick an instrument. And she picked guitar and she's in the very beginning stages of messing with that. Cool. Do you like it? Yes. And your dad can play guitar, yeah? Yes. So he's teaching you a little? Uh Uh-huh. That's fun. That's something you can do together. (laughs) Well, thank you for sitting with me. You're welcome. It's really sweet. I really just kind of, I like to capture that, like, she's only going to be six once. Mm -hmm. And then she can come back and listen to this when she's older and be like, oh, my gosh, that was me. I think the concept of identity and the creative identity as it develops is really interesting. Um, okay. Actually, I have two questions for you. Okay. Do you have any shameless plugs that you want to get in? Do you have stories that are coming out? I will link on the blog post okay. um, to your book and any articles that you have out. Okay. Um, so that people you can, can link up. to um, I have ryandilbert.com, mm-hmm. which I basically just put links to a lot of things I wrote. Perfect. Because people are like, where do I find it? I'm like, a lot of places, all over the place. Yeah. Um, I have a collection of flash fiction about pro wrestling. And it's like f- fictional pro wrestlers. They're very, it's very surreal. And I'm just working with an artist about graphic designing. Mm-hmm. But it's a sm- like a chapbook. You know what that is? Yeah. Um. I hope it comes out, I would say, spring. Okay. So, I'm going to call it Matt Burns. Uh-huh. Like little Burns on the mat. Um, oh, nice. So, that's the plan okay. for that. Um, but the website 
is good. And I also, I mean, my Twitter, which is just my name mm-hmm. at Twitter, um, I always put links of stuff that I'm working on or just talk about what I'm working on sometimes. Perfect. Well, I will link to all of that. And so okay. the Bleacher Report um, stories, they're all linked on your website as well? Well, the best ones. Okay. Because people go, and like, I read this raw recap. I'm like, oh, don't read that. <laughs> read the thing that, you know, the interesting thing. Yes. Okay. There's a lot on there. Deal. And you'll send me some photos as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Some workspace. Yeah, exactly. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? I am thinking word alchemist. Mm-hmm. Because everything I do is about words and putting them together and then seeing if something new can emerge. Not necessarily gold, but something amazing. Yeah. Excellent. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. a good one. <laughs> okay. Good. Because I overthought that. Well, thank you, Ryan. And thanks to our listeners. I hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. Find a blog post with more on this episode at chattycrafties.com, including photos, social media, and links to Ryan Dilbert's writing. Chatty Crafties social media is also linked there, including Instagram and Facebook. Give us a follow. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Angelica Norton. The introspective intro and outro music was by Berman Swale. Please rate and review Chatty Crafties at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now, it's a new year, so keep your resolution to do more creative things and go make some art.